that China is emerging from the pandemic, Hong Kong is back on their radar. I'm Natalie So, and I'm Andrew Ryan. And as you can imagine, Hong Kong is on our radar too. Let's have a look. China on Thursday passed a national security law that threatens freedom and democracy in Hong Kong. President Tsai says Taiwan will help people from Hong Kong gain residency and find accommodation here. Meanwhile, Hong Kong students in Taiwan are calling for measures that would allow their compatriots to receive asylum here. Surgical masks will go back on the open market in Taiwan on June 1st. That's with COVID-19 under control and ramped up production meeting the country's needs. The government is also planning to lift an export ban on masks next month. That's led to a spike in orders from abroad and mask factories rushing to hire more people. After months at the helm without a day off, Health Minister Chen Shih-chung is finally getting some rest and relaxation, but with a purpose. Last weekend, he traveled to the southern beach resort town of Kanding to boost lagging tourism and show people how to balance disease prevention and travel. Large crowds showed up to see this unlikely celebrity wherever he went. Future trips will bring him to more areas down the west coast. It's now been more than a year since Taiwan legalized same-sex marriage, and over 4,000 same-sex couples have since tied the knot here. A survey by LGBT coalition Equal Love Taiwan now finds that opposition has faded, with 93% of respondents saying same-sex marriage has not had any impact on them. But for many same-sex couples in Taiwan, the right to marry is still elusive. Foreign nationals must come from a country where it's legal in order to get married here. That's left many Taiwanese unable to marry their foreign partners. And under the radar this week, a story that's literally underground. Taiwan is looking at geothermal power to help meet its green energy goals. Drilling began Wednesday in the Datun Volcano Group north of Taipei for a project that aims to power more than 3,000 households with energy from right beneath our feet. And now for our words of the week. Andrew, ready to guess? Yes. What do you have? Special. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) So today we're going to be talking about Hong Kong's special status and if it can retain it and what happens if it doesn't. Mm, We're worried about that. Yes, Yes. absolutely. Are you ready for my word? Andrew Ryan. Yes. (laughs) Audible. (laughs) (laughs) Autonomy. That is correct. And of course, uh, One Country, Two Systems has allowed Hong Kong to be relatively autonomous. Um, Well, that is being called into question now. In fact, the United States has said that Hong Kong is no longer autonomous and it's reconsidering the preferential treatment that it gives to Hong Kong. A little bit later on our show in Taiwan Explaining, we're talking about what makes Hong Kong so special and uh, why there are concerns of autonomy. Great. Let's put these on the shelf. China is moving to pass a very controversial National Security Act for Hong Kong that many believe will take away civil liberties. Let's take a look at the response in Hong Kong and Taiwan. People in Hong Kong took to the streets this week, and hundreds have been arrested as they protested against Beijing's National Security Act, which criminalizes secession, sedition, and treason. The National People's Congress passed that act on Thursday afternoon. 
President Tsai Ing-wen wrote on Facebook that all partners of democracy stand with the people of Hong Kong. Tsai also spoke about Article 60 of Taiwan's Act governing Hong Kong affairs. If the situation changes in Hong Kong, part or all of the Act can be suspended. Tsai hopes that Hong Kong will not get to that point. She said Taiwan is watching closely and has measures to deal with whatever happens. National Security Council official Tsai Ming-yen says that passing the National Security Act is tantamount to China breaking its promises to Hong Kong. He said it's a move towards one country, one system. If Hong Kong is governed under the same system as the rest of China, Taiwan might amend or suspend the laws and regulations regarding Hong Kong and Macau affairs. The presidential office's Li Junyi says that Article 60 allows for the suspension of the act. He says that many lawmakers are calling for amendments to the laws governing Hong Kong affairs. The National Security Council says Hong Kong's status as Asia's financial hub is also at risk. During last year's protests against an extradition law, Hong Kong saw 60 percent of its funds go overseas compared with the same period the previous year. Now, the U.S. could also remove Hong Kong's special trade status. On Wednesday, U.S. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo told the U.S. Congress that Hong Kong no longer enjoys a high degree of autonomy from China and doesn't merit its special status. Now, almost all of the protests that we've seen in Hong Kong in the past six years have had something to do with the fact that Hong Kong is ruled separately from the rest of China in a formula called One Country, Two Systems. So what is so special about the Hong Kong Special Administrative Region? And why do other countries like the U.S. and Taiwan treat it differently? That's the subject of today's Taiwan Explained. In today's Taiwan Explained, I'm going to tell you what's so special about Hong Kong. And no, it's not... Kanto Pop, Dim Sum, mm. and Wong Kar Wai <laughs> movies, even those are very special, of course. What I'm going to be talking about is the special status of Hong Kong's special administrative region. Okay, you have 60 seconds to do this, Andrew. Are you okay. ready? Yep. All right, go. All right. What started off as a small Chinese fishing village would become a British colony and the financial hub of Asia. Now, before the British returned Hong Kong to Chinese rule in 1997, Chinese leader Deng Xiaoping came up with the concept of one country, two systems. It gave Hong Kong a capitalist economy and an autonomy for 50 years. Now, since the handover, the PRC has handled defense and foreign affairs for Hong Kong, and it left everything else up to Hong Kong. Things like its currency, the use of traditional characters and Cantonese, a special passport, a free press and internet, and even its own team at the Olympics. But even more importantly, what was special about Hong Kong is that businesses used it as a stepping stone to get to China. It has had low taxes, light regulation, an independent judiciary, and one of the world's freest economies. Now, that led some countries to give Hong Kong special treatment, like Taiwan and the United States. But the U.S. says that Hong Kong is no longer autonomous and is reconsidering that preferential treatment. Perfect timing, Andrew. Thank you. And I should mention that Taiwan is also reconsidering special treatment for Hong Kong. That's right, as we saw in the video today. Um, So actually, Taiwan and Hong Kong have been very close. It would be a major impact. A difference if we change that, right? If we change the act that governs our relations. Absolutely. You know, Taiwanese businesses have long uh, used Hong Kong as a way to uh, do business with China. A lot of businesses from uh, Taiwan are set up in Shenzhen, which is just across the border from Hong Kong. Uh, it's just made everything so much easier. Even back in the day when we wanted to fly to China, we couldn't go directly. We had to go through Hong Kong. 
now, of course, for Hong Kong's residents, coming to Taiwan has been super easy. Coming here for work, to live, to study, much easier than it is for people from the rest of China to come to Taiwan. Well, President Tsai has also come out this week to say that she wants to propose a program that would offer residency for Hong Kong people because she really does uh, empathize with them. Mm. So we should be seeing some new ways of how Taiwan is welcoming Hong Kong people to Taiwan. Yeah, actually, we saw a huge number of people uh, coming last year. I think it was five thousand people last year after the protests began. Also, the other thing is too is that China has used the idea of one country, two systems, and suggested that as a way of ruling Taiwan. Yeah, no one here likes it hardly. No, hardly. I don't think many people like it at all. All the politicians, <laughs> even across the political spectrum, they all agree that that's not feasible here in Taiwan. It's not working too well in Hong Kong either. Yeah, that's right. All right, so that is it for today's Taiwan Explained. So is this the end of one country, two systems for Hong Kong, or is China trying to have its cake and eat it too? Well, this week I spoke with a top China expert, Danjiang University Professor Alexander Huang, and this is what he had to say. As of today, most of the direct foreign investment in China were through Hong Kong. It carries more than seventy percent. So, so I think Beijing decision makers understand that maintain such a special status is also to the benefit of Beijing. So, if we put these two together, I would say that Beijing just want to make a piece of legislation and、uh, to make sure that Hong Kong will not turn chaotic, no matter what happened, and then continue to enjoy. Uh, or given Hong Kong such a special status, I, I did look at the Chinese official website. They said no, this has nothing to do with you know going against、uh, mm-hmm. one country, two systems, or the special status. But、yeah. to most of the world, they see it as Beijing cracking down on the freedoms of Hong Kong, and people are very worried it'll be just like China,、oh, the rest of China. You you are exactly right. Um, the, for the rest of the world, when we look at Hong Kong,、uh, we we of course. Well, look at the freedoms and liberty、uh, of Hong Kong people, and we hope that they can enlarge、right. uh, and enjoy such a liberty.、Um, and、uh, we even hope that they can move forward for a more democratic institution with political liberalization and、uh, freedom of press.、Um, the、uh, I think China had an institutional problem. To make these two systems coexist, it's impossible, isn't it? Yes, from my point of view, is so difficult to have this so-called one country, two system,、uh, because you want to get the good part of both, but but、uh, you cannot deny that there are the downside. Once you squeeze a free society too much, then you don't, you cannot enjoy such a benefit. So I mean, the, the outside world, I think the Hong Kong people and Taiwan as well, is seeing China's move as squeezing、uh, Hong Kong's freedoms. Do you think?、Um, it seems like your interpretation is it's not that serious that China will try to、uh, keep the special status. Well, that's、uh, unilateral intention that China wanted to、uh, maintain order,、uh, but still enjoy、uh, such a special status. But can they walk? Together, that's issue number one. And issue number two is that when the outside world consider measures 
to punish Beijing or to protect Hong Kong, uh, then we need to be much more careful. Because if we lift uh, uh, the special status that we granted for Hong Kong, uh, I think mostly uh, we are hitting uh, the Hong Kong residents rather than teaching Beijing a lesson. Mm. Well, what about Taiwan? What do you think we should be doing uh, for Hong Kong at this time? <clears throat> well, aside from what we have done with Hong Kong last year uh, during the presidential campaign, I think what we can do now is to uh, engage uh, the Hong Kong community. If, if Taiwan government uh, does not have a room to uh, make dialogue uh, reopen with the Hong Kong SAR government. But I think uh, the Taiwan, um, the, the society, the civil society in Taiwan, we need to be more proactive. The more Taiwan honor Hong Kong's special status, mm -hmm. the better the Hong Kong would be. Now, if you'd like to watch the entire interview, that will be available on Facebook and YouTube on Friday. Up next, Hashtag Taiwan. This week on Hashtag Taiwan, I want to talk to you about Brazil. I'm not talking about the Amazon rainforest. I'm not talking about Christ the Redeemer. I'm not even going to talk about Carnival. In fact, in order to tell this week's story, I need to bring one more country into the fray. Now, Mr. President, if you please... China, 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 China. On May 20th, Taiwanese President Tsai Ing-wen was inaugurated for her second term in office. You should know about this because last week I did a Taiwan Explained on the inauguration, and if you don't know it, then shame on you for not watching videos containing the fabulous me. Anyway, the Chinese Communist Party claims that Tsai Ing-wen is an illegitimate leader, mostly because her existence challenges the notion that Taiwan belongs to China, so any reference to her as president does not make China happy. Now, we've seen this before. China has cried foul when U.S. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo congratulated Tsai on her inauguration. Usually, China's complaints come after the fact, but recently we've gotten an inside look at the lengths the country will go to to get what it wants. Now buckle up, because this story is about to get juicy. You're looking at a letter that the Chinese embassy in Brazil sent to members of parliament. The document explicitly tells MPs not to congratulate Tsai on her inauguration. Now, on a scale of worked out perfectly fine to completely backfired, how well do you think this plan worked out for China? Netizens got together and lambasted China for their attempt to take over the narrative and control the flow of information. Going back to Brazil, telling MPs not to congratulate Tsai on her inauguration, well, let's just say hashtag Viva Taiwan started exploding in popularity. It's trending in both Taiwan and Brazil, with both countries showing more solidarity than ever. President Tsai even got involved. She tweeted, Thank you to all of our friends in Hashtag Brazil for your kind congratulations. And I hope you are staying safe and healthy. Hashtag Viva Taiwan and Viva Brazil. What's even cooler is that there are two roads in Brazil called Rua Taiwan, which means Taiwan Street. John Chuang and Lu showed everyone where it was on a Google map he created with Yen Pin Su that marks all of the streets named after Taiwan in the world. In fact, you'll find streets named after Taiwan in all the continents except for Antarctica, of course, because as far as I know, I don't think there's any roads out there. That was Leslie Liao with this week's Hashtag Taiwan. Be sure to follow us on social media. Leave a comment below. We would love to hear from you. All right, three weeks ago, Taiwan Insider had our first 
Science fair project. That was fun. That was fun. And what it involved was four pieces of bread in our dirty, dirty hands. <laughs> well, let me tell you, I've kept them at home and I've been monitoring them and we do have a development to share with you. Oh dear. Yeah. <laughs> Are you and uh, Leslie's here as well? Are you ready to find out what happened, Leslie? I got a weak stomach, Andrew. You just gotta go easy on me. <laughs> All right, well, let me set it up for you. Let's have a look at the uh, before picture. So we had a control that was a slice of bread that was taken directly from the loaf without touching it. We had one that the whole team touched with, uh, after washing our hands with soap. We had one that we all touched after washing our hands with hand sanitizer. And then the last slice was our dirty slice. That's the one we all touched with completely dirty hands. Now, before I show you what happened, Nally and Leslie, do you want to make a guess as to what, what happened? Okay, I'm going to guess the colors they are. Okay. The control and the soap are still white, and the dirty one is green, and the <laughs> other one is black. Oh, wow, hand sanitizer. Oh, okay. Black. What about you, Leslie? <laughs> I mean, this is a no-win scenario for me, right? Because it's a bad thing if they're all moldy, and it's also a bad thing if nothing happened to them. I think there's no... Three weeks, They're right? No way <laughs> to win weeks. here, so I'm just going to say it's going to go as expected. It's going to go incrementally... More and more uh, moldy okay. as we go to the more dirty ones. So it'll be from control to uh, soap, soap, soap to sanitizer. Hand sanitizer and dirty. Yeah. yeah. All right. That makes That's sense. That's what I to meant. Me. That makes sense to me. <laughs> All right. You guys ready? Yeah. Not really. <laughs> All right. We'll start off with our control. Oh. Oh, it's still white. Completely white after three Thank weeks. You. Is that a vacuum bag? I hope it's a vacuum bag. Yes, there's nothing escaping from A lot of preservatives in there. A lot of preservatives in mm. here. All right. We're right on about that one. I was right about that one. All right, our next one is our uh, one that we touched with after washing our hands with soap and water. Oh. It's still clean. Still completely white. <laughs> or the preservatives like protected it, you know? <laughs> On the back as well. We okay. can just say we had really good soap. Do we remember which I soap mean, we It's used? good for the soap industry, right? Are you guys ready for our third one? This oh, is yeah. the one we touched after washing our hands with hand sanitizer. Oh, oh, green. green. So sanitizer's oh, not Leslie. as good as soap. <laughs> I'm not even looking at it anymore. Oh, it's got I don't like need to look at it. Oh, it. there's so white, green, and what else? What's it the looks other like color? Stained glass. It's got yellow. <laughs> it's got gray. It's got oh. green. There's furry things on there. If that's the sanitizer. Oh, sanitizer. I don't want to see the dirty. All right, you sanitizer. guys ready? It doesn't work. This is our favorite one here. The dirty slice. You ready? Oh my gosh. One, two, three. What? What? It's totally white. Nothing what? happened to it. <laughs> you sure didn't switch that? I swear to you, these have no not been doctored. Way. I didn't touch it. It is completely edible. How could that be? So there you go. If anybody wants to write in and tell us what the heck happened, <laughs> we would love to hear from you. Yes. Let us know what happened. Thank you so much for joining us for this inside look at Taiwan this week. Be sure to connect with us on social media. Yes, leave a comment below. Let us know what you think happened to the bread. <laughs> <laughs> yes. For Taiwan Insider, I am Natalie So. I'm pretty queasy. And <laughs> Leslie, I mean, Leslie Liao. <laughs> and I'm Andrew Ryan. See you next week.
visit rti at english.rti.org.tw. Taiwan Today with Natalie So. Hello and welcome to Taiwan Today. I'm Natalie So. Beijing just passed a controversial national security law for Hong Kong that criminalizes acts of secession, sedition, and treason. Today, I speak with top China expert at Danjiang University, Professor Alexander Huang, about that law and what it means for Hong Kong. I asked him if this means the end of Hong Kong as we know it. Well, people uh, may suspect uh, that the ending of the uh, one country, two system, or what we call the Hong Kong formula. Um, but I think, um, you know, to be honest and balanced, I think um, Beijing consider, and, and, you know, a kind of measure to deal with the uh, Hong Kong uprising since last year uh, for a long time. Uh, I think they have limited uh, policy tool, uh, and this is their decision to roll out uh, a law directly from Beijing rather than consulting with the uh, legislative body in Hong Kong and or ask Hong Kong to uh, make that their own legislation with regard to these kind of issues. So maybe um, it shows that Beijing is less confident uh, with the current Hong Kong SAR government to make it happen. Uh, but they consider that this is a matter of urgency that they need to deal with the issue. So do you think that they're planning just to crack down on protesters or overall uh, dissenting voices in society? What do you think it's going to turn out to be like? I think there are several targets as the law described. Uh, of course, one is the uh, descendant views uh, in Hong Kong politics or uh, trying to make Hong Kong a more permanent separation status from China. But the key is, uh, I think, is the foreign involvement in Hong Kong affairs. I think they want to make this law as a political statement uh, more than a, um, a piece of legislation that need to be implemented. Uh, I think uh, it shows a message to the outside world that do not uh, have your fingerprints on Hong Kong, do not mess with the Hong Kong affairs. Hong Kong is part of the People's Republic. To me, this is not a smart move, but since they have decided uh, and uh, they experienced uh, and discussed uh, about the situation in Hong Kong since last year, so once they decided, they will definitely make the law and wrote it out. If China goes ahead with this law, um, you know, many countries have said that they could change their relations with Hong Kong. Mm -hmm. The U.S. said there could be sanctions. Even Taiwan, President mm -hmm. Tsai, has said that it's possible she might use Article 60 of the Special Act, you know, regarding Hong Kong relations mm -hmm. and um, revoke the special status that Hong Kong has. What do you think about um, this response? Well, uh, you raised the, the, the core issue of the entire uh, legislation uh, issue because because the core is the special status of Hong Kong. Mm -hmm. um, because of the special status, so 40 years ago, 
you know, Deng Xiaoping decided that Hong Kong should be treated differently. And that's why the one country, two systems, or what we call Hong Kong formula, uh, were implemented. Uh, supposedly, since the return of Hong Kong to China in 1997, Beijing government will guarantee a 50 years of transition period. During that 50 years, uh, Beijing promised that Hong Kong will have its own judiciary system, uh, will elect their own officials. Right now, we have 23 years past. The reality is that Hong Kong's special status is blurring. Um, it looks like uh, since Xi Jinping, uh, the so-called Chinese stream drive, have made um, you know Hong Kong more under such kind of pressure that been um, merged into uh, China and uh, less specified uh, as an independent custom area or or with a special trade status. Um, so when we look at this law, no matter how United States Congress look at it, no matter how Taipei government look at it, uh, I personally consider that the number one concern should be how to maintain the status, a special status of Hong Kong, so everybody can enjoy that special status and uh, so as to ensure the benefit and welfare of the Hong Kong people. Because of the special status in trade, in, in, in finance, uh, as a free port, uh, so Hong Kong can enjoy the traditional Chinese character, can enjoy uncensored uh, Wi-Fi with no cyber cops. Hong Kong can travel freely and uh, much more easier to engage with the rest of the world, unlike uh, the citizens in People's Republic of China. So to, in, to maintain such a status, we can say that even China can benefit it because most, as of today, most of the direct foreign investment in China were through Hong Kong. It carries more than 70%. So I think Beijing decision makers understand that maintain such a special status is also to the benefit of Beijing. So if we put these two together, I would say that Beijing just want to make a piece of legislation and uh, to make sure that Hong Kong will not turn chaotic no matter what happened, and then continue to enjoy uh, or given Hong Kong such a special status. I did look at the Chinese official website. They said, no, this has nothing to do with, you know, going against uh, mm -hmm. one country, two systems or the special status. But right. to most of the world, they see it as Beijing cracking down on the freedoms of Hong Kong. And the people are very worried it'll be just like China, oh, the rest of China. You, you are exactly right. Um, the, for the rest of the world, when we look at Hong Kong, uh, we, we, of course, will look at the freedoms and liberty uh, of Hong Kong people, and we hope that they can enlarge right. uh, and enjoy such a liberty. And uh, we even hope that they can move forward for a more democratic institution with political liberalization and uh, freedom of press. I think China had an institutional problem. 
to make these two systems coexist. It's impossible, isn't it? Yes, from my point of view, is so difficult to have this so-called one country, two system, because you want to get the good part of both, but but you cannot deny that there are the downside. Once you squeeze a free society too much, you cannot enjoy such a benefit. So, I mean, the, the outside world, and I think the Hong Kong people and Taiwan as well, is seeing China's move as squeezing Hong Kong's freedoms. Do you think um, it seems like your interpretation is it's not that serious that China will try to uh, keep the special status? Well, that's uh, unilateral intention that China wanted to uh, maintain order, uh, but still enjoy uh, such a special status. But can they walk together? That's issue number one, and issue number two is that when the outside world consider measures to punish Beijing or to protect Hong Kong, then we need to be much more careful because if we lift uh, uh, the special status that we granted for Hong Kong, uh, I think mostly uh, we are hitting uh, the Hong Kong residents. Rather than teaching Beijing a lesson, mm. um, so it's a it's a tug of war. It's something that once you open the box, uh, you said I'm going to uh, you know make a strict law and limit certain uh, political ideas uh, to be public uh, or to be in action in Hong Kong. Then nobody knows the end game. You know, I'm I'm not comfortable to say now uh, that this is uh, uh, a declaration of the uh, death of one country, two systems, or Hong Kong had no future. I'm not ready to say that, um, but I do concern that in the future practice, um, if Chinese leaders are less confident in their own system, if China fail. To take another approach, that engaging China,、uh, Hong Kong citizens, engaging、uh, the local、uh, interests,、uh, listen to what Hong Kong needs. China may destroy the one country, two system that they designed for Hong Kong from the very beginning. So this is a test for the、um, self confidence of Beijing government and、uh, also the ability or governance. That Beijing can show to the world. And what about the people of Hong Kong? I mean, they've been. How do you expect them to continue to react to this? <clears throat> you know, we have all the sympathy to uh, the um, Hong Kong, especially、uh, the young generation, that not only they were not benefited from the、uh, trends of so-called globalization and widen gap between the wealth and the poor. But also because of、uh, the current situation in Hong Kong, not only their economic life is in question, but also、uh, they do not enjoy a political freedom to express themselves. I still believe that、um, the numbers of people go violent or extremist on the street、uh, are very small portion of、mm-hmm. the Hong Kong people. What I concern. Are the silent majority? No, you know they probably as suffer to the degree as the people go on street, 
but、uh, they choose not to walk on the street. They still need to go to work. They need to get the paycheck. They need to live a life in Hong Kong. They got no way to move out of Hong Kong, and、uh, so they could only cross their fingers and hope for the best. So this is a kind of, if I may,、uh, I want to make a plea and、uh, ask. The Beijing government and、uh, the Hong Kong、uh, SAR government to be, you know, more passionate about the ordinary people in Hong Kong. You know, they may not. You know,、uh, my my recollection about Hong Kong、uh, during the British rule,、uh, most of the Hong Kong people they did not talk about politics. They just try to make a living and get wealthy. And and right now、uh, is under so-called Chinese uh, governance. Um, uh, the Beijing needs to prove that they can handle Hong Kong much better than the British people. That is Professor Alexander Huang of Danjiang University and his perspective on what China is doing with Hong Kong. And now to our weekly news quiz. Welcome to the Taiwan News Quiz, where the events are current and the points can win you absolutely nothing. <laughs> Now I'm going to be testing Andrew and Natalie to see if they've been paying attention this past week. Are you guys ready?、Uh, uh, I guess so. <laughs> I got some doozies for you. Sixty seconds on the clock, please. All right, number one, guys. Which luxury hotel in Taipei has stopped taking bookings due to the pandemic?、Uh, the、uh, Mandarin Oriental. Correct. Which Hong、so、Kong、nice. actor just got out of quarantine in Taiwan? Anthony, Anthony Wong. Wong. Correct. The government is expected to sell stimulus coupons next month. How much will they cost, and how much will one thousand plus three thousand? And you get three thousand. Very good. Give me one example of、uh, something you can buy with the vouchers.、Uh, night market. Oh, very I mean, good. Not、Correct. a night market. Something at a night market. Correct. <laughs> Give me something you can't buy with the vouchers.、Um, uh, daily goods. Very、uh, good. Toilet paper. Correct. <laughs>、uh, what What county did Health Minister Chen Shizong visit to help boost the local economy?、Uh, Tainan. Ping Dong, Andrew got that correct. <laughs> What did the Central Epidemic Command Center say people were using more of during the pandemic?、Um, alcohol. Keep going.、Uh, uh, right、soap? track. Toilet paper.、Uh, Water. Mask. Armor.、Uh, Disposable utensils. Oh. oh, oh. Yeah. All right, guys. Why did two baseball fans in Taiwan get banned for life from future games? Um, because they、uh, were not social distancing, they actually got into a fight with some players, yelling expletives at them. <gasps> First time in Taiwan's history that、uh, fans were getting banned from games in the future. Well, I have to tell you, you know, we've we've had so much excitement and interest from overseas for our baseball games, but now that other places like Korea are starting to play, we have to keep it exciting. I'm telling you, <laughs> this I'm, is not a good way, though. I'm seeing more and more fights、Brawls、on baseball and fights now, and, and stuff. I, I really think it's because people are watching internet. Yeah. Anyway, that was the Taiwan News <laughs> Quiz with Andrew and Natalie. And that is Taiwan today for this week. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to the RTI Time Machine. Today's time traveler is John Van Trieste, and the destination the Pacific Rim. Here along the Pacific Rim, earthquakes have always been a part of life. The experience of earthquakes, from minor tremors to major disasters, is something Taiwan shares with its neighbors. A new exhibit at the National Museum of Taiwan History explores the seismic pasts of Taiwan and its neighbor Japan. 
With the cooperation of the National Museum of Japanese History, the exhibit looks at major earthquakes of the past and examines the ways Taiwan and Japan have responded to them. Chen Yihong is a curator and researcher at the National Museum of Taiwan History. He's here with us today to walk us through the exhibit and give us a look back at how Taiwan's responses to earthquakes have changed over time. Every group of people that lives on Taiwan is keenly aware that the ground here shakes and rocks from time to time. But there are many different groups here, and so there is no one traditional view of what might be behind the moving ground. Still, Mr. Chen says, there are three general ideas traditionally found in human cultures around the world, and examples of all three can be found among various groups on Taiwan. He says the first category of earthquake story blames an animal for the shaking. Some groups of Taiwan's indigenous Atayal people once believed that earthquakes were caused by deer or bears. Meanwhile, among the Zhou people, there were beliefs that a crab, eel, mountain boar, or snake were to blame. He says the second kind of story, blaming earthquakes on gods or giants, was found among the Rukai and Paiwan people of southern Taiwan. And the Amis people of the East Coast had a third common idea, that the world was delicately balanced on a giant pillar, and the slightest disturbance could send the whole thing wobbling. Ideas about earthquakes brought to Taiwan later by ethnic Chinese tended to fall into the same categories. But Mr. Chen says that these ideas are split among the beliefs of the elite and those of ordinary people. Officials dispatched to Taiwan might see the shaking as a sign of a cosmological imbalance between the forces of yin and yang. They might have also viewed an earthquake as a sign of heavenly displeasure. More ordinary people who crossed the Taiwan Strait shared the idea that an earthquake might mean the gods were angry. But they also came up with some other explanations. One idea was that as an island, Taiwan must be floating around out there on the sea. Once in a while, it would be tossed around on the waves like a boat. One idea that stuck around is that the earth is held up by an ox, and that when it moves, the world shakes. The earth ox rolls over is one colorful expression that Taiwan's media still uses to liven up the headlines every time a decent-sized quake hits. What kinds of sources do historians have to work with when researching earthquakes that happened here before the 20th century? Three types of local sources provide the bulk of information. From 1683 to 1895, large areas of Taiwan were ruled as part of China's Qing Dynasty Empire. The first major kind of source comes in the form of letters and reports sent from the empire's officials here to higher-ups back on the mainland. The second source is county gazetteers, surveys of local geography and history commissioned by local governments. And then there is a third source, temples. Over the years, many a Taiwanese temple has been flattened by earthquakes and then rebuilt. At some old temples, there are stone slabs with inscriptions that record details of the temple's past destruction and commemorate its rebuilding. 
Occasionally, these sources paint a grim picture. In 1862, a major earthquake struck the southern city of Tainan, where the Museum of History is located. Officials there counted at least 1,700 dead and 8,000 houses destroyed. It was the deadliest earthquake to hit Taiwan before the 20th century. Meanwhile, to the north, Japan had its own ancient records of devastation. Japan's inclusion in this exhibit gives us something to compare Taiwan's experience against. But Japan is also a key player in Taiwan's seismic history. That's because in 1895, Japan took control of Taiwan. The 50 years of Japanese rule that followed brought big changes in earthquake preparedness to the island. Traditional architecture made with earth and bricks fared poorly once the ground began to shake. In 1906, an earthquake that tore through the Jai area proved this point. But this early stage of colonization was also the time when Japan undertook big urban planning projects in Taiwan cities. These widened streets and added evacuation areas like parks. Mr. Chen says that during Japanese rule, the authorities also brought the organization and resources of a modern nation-state to bear. In time, Taiwan would have disciplined military, police, and youth corps units, all ready to help with disaster relief. Mr. Chen says that in colonial Taiwan, the importance of preparedness and organization were lessons that sunk in deeply after the massive Great Kanto earthquake of 1923 hit Tokyo. This organization paid off. In 1935, an earthquake ripped through the northern Taiwanese city of Xinzhou, causing devastation down into central Taiwan. It was the deadliest earthquake ever recorded in Taiwan, with a death toll of over 3,000. Still, Mr. Chen says, the system in place to respond to an earthquake sprang into action. The earthquake struck in April, but by July, a new urban plan of Xinzhou had already been drawn up. The end of World War II in 1945 also marked the end of Japanese rule on Taiwan. The early post-war period brought several noteworthy earthquakes, but from the 1960s through the 1990s, things were relatively calm. Then, on September 21, 1999, a catastrophic earthquake battered central Taiwan, leaving over 2,000 dead. In the aftermath of this earthquake, the legislature passed the Disaster Prevention and Protection Act, the first law of its kind in Taiwan. There was a change in Taiwan's civil society too, with NGOs beginning to play a greater role in disaster relief. These private groups have continued to supplement the government's relief efforts. Mr. Chen says that in more recent years, there's been another trend. Preserving memories and reminders of earthquakes, especially the belongings of survivors, as a means of psychological rebuilding. This is a difficult concept, but it seems there's something about finding objects that were thought lost and acknowledging past traumas that helps in moving forward. 
Mr. Chen says this psychological side of things has often been overlooked in the past, but not in this exhibit. In February last year, the History Museum's hometown of Tainan was hit by another major earthquake. Many of the victims were killed when their poorly built apartment complex collapsed. As part of this move towards psychological rebuilding, the stories of those who survived the collapse have been incorporated into this exhibit. Some personal belongings are included in the displays as well. Mr. Chen says that some of these survivors joined his colleagues for the exhibit's opening ceremony. He says they expressed gratitude that things they might have thought lost have been found and kept safe. Through a parallel look at the history of earthquakes in Taiwan and Japan, it's clear that the shaking can't be stopped. But both Taiwan and Japan have built up a deep resilience in the face of disaster. And with safer buildings and better preparedness, the two societies continue living with the shaking earth. The exhibit In the Same Seismic Zone, Earthquake Disasters of Taiwan and Japan in History runs through December 3rd. I'm John Van Trieste, and I hope you'll join me again next week for another journey through time. In today's Taiwan Explained, I'm going to tell you what's so special about Hong Kong. And no, it's not Canto Pop, Dim Sum, mm. and Wong Kar Wai <laughs> movies, even those are very special, of course. What I'm going to be talking about is the special status of Hong Kong's special administrative region. Okay, you have 60 seconds to do this, Andrew. Are you okay. ready? Yep. All right, go. All right. What started off as a small Chinese fishing village would become a British colony and the financial hub of Asia. Now, before the British returned Hong Kong to Chinese rule in 1997, Chinese leader Deng Xiaoping came up with the concept of one country, two systems. It gave Hong Kong a capitalist economy and an autonomy for 50 years. Now, since the handover, the PRC has handled defense and foreign affairs for Hong Kong, and it left everything else up to Hong Kong. Things like its currency, the use of traditional characters and Cantonese, a special passport, a free press and internet, and even its own team at the Olympics. But even more importantly, what was special about Hong Kong is that businesses used it as a stepping stone to get to China. It has had low taxes, light regulation, an independent judiciary, and one of the world's freest economies. Now, that led some countries to give Hong Kong special treatment, like Taiwan and the United States. But the U.S. says that Hong Kong is no longer autonomous and is reconsidering that preferential treatment. Perfect timing, Andrew. Thank you. And Very I should good. mention that Taiwan is also reconsidering special treatment for That's Hong Kong. That's right, as we saw in the video today. Um, so actually, Taiwan and Hong Kong have been very close. It would be a major a difference if we change that, right? If we change the act that governs our relations. Absolutely. You know, Taiwanese businesses have long uh, used Hong Kong as a way to uh, do business with China. A lot of businesses from uh, Taiwan are set up in Shenzhen, which is just across the border from Hong Kong. Uh, it's just made everything so much easier. Even back in the day when we wanted to fly to China, we couldn't go directly. We had to go through Hong Kong. Uh, now, of course, for Hong Kong's residents coming to Taiwan, has been super easy coming here for work, to live, to study, much easier than it is for people from the rest of China to come to Taiwan. 
Well, President Tsai has also come out this week to say that she wants to propose a program that would offer residency for Hong Kong people because she really does uh, empathize with them. Mm. So we should be seeing some new ways of how Taiwan is welcoming Hong Kong people to Taiwan. Yeah, actually, we saw a huge number of people uh, coming last year. I think it was 5,000 people last year after the protests began. Also, the other thing is, too, is that China has used the idea of one country, two systems and suggested that as a way of ruling Taiwan. That is it for today's Taiwan Explained. RTI, exercise for your mind. Thank you for listening to Radio Taiwan International, broadcasting from Taipei, Taiwan. Check out our website at english.rti.org.tw. Again, that's english.rti.org.tw for the latest news and features from Taiwan. You can also listen to our programs and watch videos as well. Our 60-minute English language program can also be heard every day at the following times and frequencies. In southern China and South Asia from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 9405 kHz. Again, that's in southern China and South Asia from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 9405 kHz. And in Southeast Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. Again, that's in Southeast Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. We'd love to hear from you. Please send your comments to P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Again, that's P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Or send an email to rti at rti.org.tw. Again, that's rti at rti.org.tw. Also visit us on Facebook. The address is fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International. Once again, on Facebook, we're located at fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International for videos, photos, and news of interest from Taiwan. Thank you once again for listening to Radio Taiwan International. Thank you.